and giving in marriage. Now, we know that weddings are usually uh, involve a bit of long-term planning. It usually takes months, sometimes a year or more. And when someone is looking ahead and planning for a, a forward date, you take the calendar and you roll through the months and you set a date and you assume we're all going to be doing the normal routine of life even on that day. And so they were marrying and giving in marriage. There was no thought, no comprehension of the judgment that was soon coming until the day. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher. We appreciate you joining with us, taking the time to be a part of the program. And we go to our message very soon, uh, The Lord's Coming, Matthew chapter 25. And of course, the, the answer is that there is no warning going to be given. The Lord will come back in an hour that we think not. We also have a hymn, I Cannot Tell Why. And we're bringing this after the message on the judgment of this world by Mr. Hoaxma. And we'll be reading that excerpt on the judgment of our Lord at the cross. And I trust that today the Lord will minister to your heart as we bring these various items in the program. At the end, of course, you'll have all the details on our website, email, phone number, church address. I trust that you will be a part of the program right through to the end today. And so from the pulpit of our Free Presbyterian Church here in Cloverdale, we let the Bible speak. The Lord Jesus said, Now is the judgment of this world, John twelve thirty one. But you say, In what sense is the hour of Jesus' suffering and condemnation by the world, his crucifixion and death, the judgment of the world? I would like to call your attention especially to three elements in this judgment of the world through the cross of Christ. First of all, there is the element of the trial. Through the suffering of Jesus, the world was put on trial. It was summoned before the bar of God's justice. It was publicly tried and exposed in its real character. It was found wanting and condemned. This is an essential element in all judgments. The defendant must be summoned and tried by the judge. It is no different with the judgment of the world by God. The world must be publicly tried, its guilt, its corruption, its worthiness of eternal wrath and condemnation must be clearly set forth. Not indeed as if God had not need to find out what is the real spiritual ethical value of the world. He knows that the world, the wicked world as it stands, in alliance with the devil, in spite of all its culture and show of goodness, wisdom and justice and religion, is filled with pride and corruption, with enmity against God, and is therefore worthy of damnation. But God must be justified before the whole creation. Every mouth must be stopped, and all must acknowledge that he is just and righteous when he condemns the world. Therefore, the world must be exposed. Its mask of culture and religion, its self-righteousness and show of goodness 
must be torn away from her, and she must be made to show herself in all her naked shame and corruption. For this purpose she must be tried, and this trial God institutes through His Son in the flesh, His holy child Jesus. All the world must be placed before the question, What think ye of Christ? And what will ye do with Him? For Christ is the revelation of God. The Father He had already revealed. He had come to witness the truth, the light He presented in a world of darkness. And as this Christ, in the hour of His trial, stood before the world as a weak and helpless man, without power and without defense, the world principally faced the question, What will ye do with God's representative, with the Son of God, with God Himself, if He should stand before you in the form of a helpless man? Oh, they meant to avoid this public trial. They would rather not answer any question at all, for it was their intention to kill Jesus secretly, without any formal trial or judicial procedure, and it must not be on the feast day. All publicity must be avoided. As opportunity presented itself, the traitor was to deliver him to them, and somehow they would do away with him by subtlety. But this might not be. Publicly the Lord must be tried, for clearly and definitely they must answer the question, not their own, but God's question, What will you do with the Son of God? And so their plans are frustrated and in the most official way, in the most public place, and on the most public day of all, the feast of the Passover, all the world gives its answer to God's question in this hour of judgment. Several factors were conducive to this frustration of their own plan, and this realization of the purpose of God. To some of these we hope to call your attention in detail in future discussions. There was the raising of Lazarus, and the resulting growing popularity of Jesus, which caused the wicked leaders of the Jews to become excited and to hasten their wicked schemes. And there was, in the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord's dismissal of the traitor, who certainly had no plans to perform his dark deed that night, but who was forced to do quickly what he planned and had sold himself to do by the sudden exposure of his hypocrisy in the upper room, and his dismissal by the Lord. However this may be, not in secret, but in the way of a public trial by all the world, not of an forsaken corner of the world, but in the most public place of all the world, and of all times, on the feast of the Passover and in Jerusalem, the whole world was placed before the question, what will ye do with the Son of God? And all the world answered with one accord, If we can ever get hold of God, we will surely kill Him. Away with Him! Crucify Him! I cannot Should seek your 
Another thing we see here about these ten virgins, they assumed that the groom's delay meant he would not surprise them at all. If you look at verse 5, it says, While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. On that evening, they might have expected the bridegroom to come at an earlier hour. And they thought, well, surely by now he will be here. And it's late, and we're weary and tired. I'm giving up. And so it would appear from verse 5 that they all slumbered and slept. Every one of them. Every one of them. And so as the evening drew late and tiredness set in, it wasn't until midnight that the bridegroom and his party came along. Now, men do the exact same thing today. They go to sleep. They go to sleep. In the book of Second Peter, chapter 3, there are those who are apostates. They are deniers of the gospel, and they say that because that it is so long since the Lord warned about his coming, that he's not coming at all. These are uniformitarians who believe that everything will just continue on and on as it is. And because the Lord is long in his coming, that it's just a joke. It's just all over. Well, if we go back to Matthew 24 and look at verse 37 you will see that when the Lord does return into this world, it's going to be very similar to the days of Noah. Now, the moment you mention Noah, you immediately think of the ark and the rain coming down and the flood upon the earth and that vessel upon the stormy seas and judgment already on the world. But don't forget, there were 100, 120 years while building that ark, that every day the sun shined. Every day was a blue sky day. And while they were building the ark, and the mockers and the scoffers said to Noah, Hey, Noah, where's the rain? Where's the judgment? And this continued on and on and on. And we read here, As the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood. I want you to note that now. Uh, Matthew 24 is referring to those days 
In fact, 120 years before the flood, what were they doing? Eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. Now, we know that weddings are usually uh, involve a bit of long-term planning. It usually takes months, sometimes a year or more. And when someone is looking ahead and planning for a, a forward date, you take the calendar and you roll through the months and you set a date and you assume we're all going to be doing the normal routine of life even on that day. And so they were marrying and giving in marriage. There was no thought, no comprehension of the judgment that was soon coming until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And as Noah went into that ark, then it began to be serious. And they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. Now, likewise, likewise, there are those who will say that this world is going to continue on and on and on. They put off accepting the gospel. They say there's no real urgency. And they interpret the good things of today that it will just continue the same tomorrow. And they're content to have this external religion. They don't put oil in their lamps. And here you are, you're content to come to church, content to do the outward things, but are you really ready? Are you saved? Are you prepared for that wonderful and glorious day? Now, there's another major point that I want to uh, deal with here, and that is this matter of the five virgins that had oil, the five who had none, that when the five foolish were caught off guard, the groom is now coming, and they have no oil to light their lamps. And in their panic, they say to the others who have oil, give us of your oil. But they say, no, there is going to be no sharing of oil from lamp to lamp. Now, I see this as the erroneous thinking of people in Christian circles. They think, well, I'm among people who I know are ready. I am among people, and they believe this Christian doctrine, this message of salvation by the blood, and at peace with God, and I'm sure they're saved. And I'm among those people, and I'm counted into the very midst of them. And they have this idea of some kind of a common insurance policy. I'm amongst Christians. But the question is, do you have the oil? And the thing is, you can't borrow that oil. You cannot borrow grace. You cannot get the Holy Spirit from the person sitting beside you in church. You cannot get the new birth experience. You cannot be adopted into the family of God because your family members are adopted. Doesn't translate and transfer to you. And this is the point our Lord wanted to declare in this parable. Each one 
stands responsible for their own preparation and their own work of the Spirit within their hearts. And so you need to have a personal cleansing, a personal washing in the blood of Jesus. You need to come one-to-one -to, -one to the Lord and ask him to be your Savior and make it right with your soul. Now, I come from Ireland, and it's a very Roman Catholic country, much of it, and uh, it was always a very exciting time within a Roman Catholic community or family when some family member became a priest, or if that priest was elevated to become a bishop or even a cardinal. And, and I remember one in particular, he was from the town of Armagh, and, uh, or close to Armagh, and he was elevated to a cardinal. Well, you would have thought that he'd become royalty immediately. And then, of course, the whole family, it was like honor and dignity that was poured upon them. Because you see, behind this, there is the doctrine of superorrogation. Superorrogation is a treasure chest of grace. And when one person does great things, he pours into that treasure merit and grace that others can receive from. And it has grown into this whole matter of these holy clerics that they become saints or canonized, and then people can pray to them and receive from them grace. Now, if you can imagine being in a Roman Catholic family and a brother or an uncle or whoever, and he is elevated to this high office in the very lineup now for dignity and honor, so holy, and all his good is poured into this treasure chest of grace, it also means merit and benefit for you. But you see, the Bible does not teach that. The oil that was in the lamps of the five wise virgins could not be shared with, for the five foolish virgins. It doesn't work that way. And of course, the parable is fully intended. Watch, therefore. Be ye also ready. And for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. And you'll notice how the Lord is speaking in the singular. Each one, each one. He's trying to get to your heart. He's seeking to speak directly, right to your soul. You, you, individually, must have this very oil of the Spirit of God within your heart. Now, one more thing. They did not imagine that the door would be shut so soon. These five virgins, they went off to get their own oil. And at midnight, that's going to take some doing. The convenience stores are certainly not going to be open. People are going to be in bed normally. And they're going to be going around house to house looking for oil. And so there is a time lapse. And the procession of the groom and his entourage, they come and they are met by the five wise virgins. And they all go into the home of the bride. 
and the door is shut. And those five foolish that have gone off and somehow they've awakened someone, they've got oil now in their lamps, and they return with a measure of excitement. Ah, that's over, that's over, I'm going to be okay. But when they get there, the door is shut. And they are on the outside. Now, they might have protested, how can this be? They can't have the wedding without us. We were appointed to be bridesmaids. We were here in an official capacity. And so goes the, the mind of many stubborn-minded souls today. And it doesn't fit, sink in that their delay, their refusal to be prepared, to be ready, will mean that they will be caught out and shut out. Do you notice in verse 12 uh, that the, the Lord telling this parable, he, he answered and said, Verily, the word verily there means amen, absolutely. I say unto you, I know you not. And these five foolish virgins are treated as strangers. Strangers. Isn't that a tragedy? For someone to be religious, someone to be in the church, someone to have the Bible, someone to know the facts, but are strangers shut out and have absolutely no part in the mercy, the grace of God, doomed and lost. And you see the final application in verse 12, where our Lord says, Watch, therefore, watch, be on your guard, be ready. The Son of Man will come in a day and hour that ye think not. And no matter what dates are set, no matter what scaremongering is done, and maybe the motivation behind it is, is the same motivation that I, as a Bible preacher, will come and tell you. Be prepared. Be ready to meet thy God. And I would say to you, you can meet God in any number of ways. You could meet God today. God could take the very breath out of your body. There are many already in the, in the grave and their spirits have left their bodies and they have, in eternity, they've met with God and there'll be a judgment day. There will be those alive on the earth when the Lord returns and there will be this instant separation, the wise and the foolish, those that are saved and those that are ready. The only missing element, of course, is the oil. What is your religion today? Is it outward, external things? Or is it the oil of the gospel? The new birth experience. Let me tell you that customs, practices, traditions count nothing when it comes to being saved. You must be born again. I don't think we can emphasize that enough. Ye must be born again. There is no alternative. Paul said in Romans 8 that if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, 
He is none of his. Fearful. Or, first, or John 1.13, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of man, but of God. You need to be born of God. And so the gospel is a supernatural experience of receiving the life of the Lord Jesus into your heart and into your soul. Religion, as in church ceremonies, that's all it is, will leave you with a lantern, but no oil. None of the inner working of the Spirit. Make sure today that you have this light of the gospel. And my burden today, in light of the events of this week and the scare tactics of Mr. Camping and the obvious failure of all of that, is that someone will cry wolf to you so often that you're off guard. And you say, this is not genuine. Mr. Camping's mistake was to set a date. All the other aspects of Christ's return, judgment, heaven, and hell, is true. The Bible gives us perfect grounds to state that. And it warns us against six times in this Olivet Discourse. Six times. In an hour that you think not. No man knows the day nor the hour but all the more reason to be ready. All the more reason. And while Christianity today is the butt of jokes in the media and in the secular press, there will be those saying, well, the math didn't turn out, therefore the Bible's not true. Well, it's very accurate to say that Mr. Camping's not very good at math. And it's also accurate to say that he didn't read Matthew 24 and 25 to see those six warnings. Or if he read them, he hasn't taken heed to them. And in that, he's a false prophet. But it does not undermine one word of this word. Indeed, the very verse we started off in Matthew 24 is that all these things will be fulfilled, every one of them. Let there be oil in our lamps. Make sure you're born of the Spirit of God, regenerated, born again. Are you a born-again Christian? Can you tell me that? I would love to hear you tell me. Yes, I know that Christ lives in me. I have a new life. I not only have signed a card, I have not only done something to speak of a decision, but I know that my Savior lives in my heart. That's the testimony of the born-again believer. This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale, located at 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. On our website you can find gospel articles, links to our sermons and our gospel booklet called A New Beginning. There you can find a link to our Sunday services that are broadcast online. 
For all this information, please go to our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30am and 6pm to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of his precious word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer at 7.30pm every Wednesday evening. Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day from September to June at 9.30am. You can contact us using our office number which is 604-576-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdealfpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please go to our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will lead you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. And this is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today. And be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. on this station for our full or church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of his word.